If you'd please turn with me to Psalm 102 in your Bibles. It's also printed in your worship guide. Uh, If you've been with us over the summer, you know that we've been going through the Psalms. And if you're not familiar with the Psalms, it's a book of the Bible of 150 different songs and poems, which were written by a variety of authors over actually a long period of time, many of them by King David, many of them not. And some of the psalms were meant to be hymns that are sung by the people. Some are psalms of thanksgiving or psalms of wisdom. There are several different types of psalms. And Psalm 102, this is a psalm of lament, which is an expression of emotions in the midst of the hard things in life. And unlike many of the psalms, we don't actually know who the author of 102 is or what exactly he was going through when he wrote this psalm, but the title of the psalm, which is printed in your worship guide there, it gives us some context. It says, a prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. So in other words, this psalm was sort of written as a kind of template for people to pray when they're suffering, for us to pray when we are suffering. And in this fallen world, hardships abound. So let's bring our hardships to the Lord this morning as we read this text today. Let's read Psalm 102. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink because of your indignation and anger. For you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded. For a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that he looked down from his holy height. From heaven, the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord, and in Jerusalem his praise, when peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. He has broken my strength in mid-course, He has shortened my days. O my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days. 
you whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would work in our hearts this morning. Help us to understand your word, to receive your word, and use it to shape us more and more into the image of your Son. God, I ask that you would guide me as I preach this morning. Use my words for the building up of your church and the glory of your great name. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, at what age should a kid get their own cell phone? This is a rhetorical question. Don't shout out answers. <laughs> it's a question that every parent needs to ask themselves these days at some point, and it might be a topic that has caused arguments in your household. And opinions vary. Some parents say, well, not until they're old enough to drive or not until they're old enough to pay for it on their own. But meanwhile, I've seen kids as young as kindergartners walking around with cell phones. And it's actually something I've been starting to think about myself. When should our kids get cell phones? I don't think yet, but I'm thinking about it. But the main reason why I'm even thinking about it is because I want our kids to be able to call for help if there's ever some sort of emergency situation. If something ever happens, I want them to be able to call 911 or to call us, me or Tracy. I mean, they're just kids. There's not a whole lot that a five and six-year-old can handle on their own. But once you grow up, you can handle just about anything, right? Nothing scares grown-ups. Nothing confuses us. Nothing makes us panic, right? Well, in, in the movie Frozen 2, which I've seen an unfortunate amount of times, <laughs> uh, the magical snowman Olaf he finds himself in this confusing and scary situation, and he tries to calm himself down by singing a song, which is titled, When I Am Older. And here are a few lyrics from it. Listen to these lyrics. This will all make sense when I am older. Someday I will see that this makes sense. One day when I'm old and wise, I'll think back and realize these were all completely normal events. I'll have all the answers when I'm older. When I'm more mature, I'll feel totally secure. But of course, us adults in the room, we know that's not how adulthood works. Things still scare us. Many things don't make sense to us. We don't have all the answers. We don't feel secure. It doesn't take much to send us into a spiral of anxiety and despair. It just takes one life event to just wreck us. We are not as strong as we think we are. So what do we do in our time of need? You can't just call 911 whenever your life gets hard. 
So who should you call on? Who can we rely on? Well, you're in, you're in a church. You know the answer, right? God. Trust in God in your time of need. But please, hear this psalm today. Hear that trusting in God in the midst of hardship is not just some Christian platitude. It's not just some trite song that we sing to ourselves like Olaf, telling ourselves everything is going to work out in the end. Trusting in God during the hard times of life can be hard. But it is essential for the Christian life. And what we're going to see in our psalm today is that because God reigns forever, we must rely on him in our time of need. And there are three ways that this psalm directs us to rely on him. First, we must cry out to him. Second, we must trust in his mercy. And third, we must remember that our future is secure in him. We must cry out to him, trust in him, and remember that our future is secure. So first, we must cry out to God in our time of need. In verses 1 and 2, we see the psalmist doing just this. He calls out, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Answer me when I call. And it's not that God hasn't been listening. We need to remember that God hears all of our prayers, whether we're thinking them silently in our head or we're shouting them to the sky. He hears all of them. But rather, these words of the psalmist They're showing just how desperate of a state that he's in. He feels like God has not been listening. And he's asking him, this time, please hear me and help me. And why does he need help? Well, he tells us in verses 3 through 11. And I'm not going to go through all of these verses. We'll just touch on a few. In verses 3 through 5, he complains about his physical suffering. He says, my days pass away like smoke. My bones burn like a furnace. And then in verses 6 through 8, we see that he's not just suffering physically, but emotionally and socially in his relationships. He says in verse 6, I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. He's completely alone. In fact, the only people who do actually pay him any attention are his enemies. In verse 8, he says, all the day my enemies taunt me. So the only people around him are people who are simply rubbing his face in his suffering. And then finally, in verses 9 through 11, he complains about God himself. Verse 9, he says, I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink because of your indignation and anger. For you have taken me up and thrown me down. Notice, he doesn't say that he doesn't deserve God's wrath. But that doesn't mean that he's happy about it either. You know, I want our kids to be able to call for help in the case of an emergency. But Tracy and I, as parents, we're the first line of defense, right? If... Dexter were to fall and skin his knee. I don't want Grace going to call 911. 
for a skinned knee. I want them to come to mom or dad. But we're not, we're not just here for them just when they're hurt. You know, we're their parents. We take care of all of their needs. But also, as their parents, we get a lot of complaints. A lot of whining. And we want to help them. We want to be there for them. But it is a daily struggle to get them to turn their whining into asking for help. It usually goes something like this. One of them will come up to me and say, Dad, I'm hungry. And I'll, I'll respond, no whining. Dad, I'm hungry. Okay. I want an apple. How do you ask? Can I please have an apple? It's like this three or four step process to get them from just complaining about something to actually asking for what they want with their please and thank yous. But notice, that is not what God requires of us. He doesn't ask us to pray, Father, may I please have an apple? He actually wants to hear, Dad, I'm hungry. God, I'm suffering. I don't know what to do. I'm lonely. I'm in pain. I can't get rid of this sin. I'm fed up. I'm ready to give up. The Psalms are filled with these kinds of prayers. And God doesn't just begrudgingly put up with our complaints. He doesn't just tolerate them. He actually welcomes them. He cares so much about you that he wants to hear the most honest, most raw voice inside of you. We live in the Midwest where sharing our deepest thoughts and emotions is not something that we're used to. We don't want to burden people with our emotions or our problems. But it is not a burden to God. 1 Peter 5 verse 7 says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. When you cast your innermost struggles on God, you're not going to surprise him. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says that God in eternity past knew you before the foundation of the world. He knew all the ugliest, most sinful parts of your heart, and he still sent his son to die for you. And his son, he felt all these things, all these things in the psalm on our behalf, the physical the emotional, the spiritual suffering. And he did it all willingly. A God who loves you enough to do that will not turn away from you now, no matter what you're going through or what you're feeling. His love for you is not conditional. It stretches beyond eternity. So we can cry out to him in our time of need because he is seated on his throne forever ready to hear our cries. And because he reigns forever, we must also trust in his mercy in our time of need. Starting at verse 11, the psalmist says, 
My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. What we're seeing happen here is the psalmist is taking his eyes off of himself and he's putting them on the Lord. He says, I am withering away, but you are eternal. I am weak, but you are strong. Verse 13, he says, you will arise and have pity on Zion. Zion is, he's using that as a term for God's people. And in this statement, he's showing his trust for the Lord. He knows that God will have mercy on his people. Verse 15, nations will fear the name of the Lord. And all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion, his people. He appears in his glory. What he's saying here is, Lord, glorify yourself by showing the world how you have mercy on your people. Help us so that the world would see how good you are. I would love for my kids to ask for help in that way. Dad, give me an apple so the whole world can see how you provide for me. But that kind of honor is due only to the Lord. And he continues with this theme in verses 18 through 22. He says, let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. And what should be recorded? Verse 19, that he looked down from his holy height from heaven the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who are doomed to die. The Lord is great. And the psalmist sees his greatness in the fact that the eternal God of the universe, the way he chooses to glorify himself, is by hearing the prayers of the destitute, the groans of the prisoners, those who are weak and wither away like the psalmist. God glorifies himself by having mercy on such as these. Well, Simon Chiprote is a world-class long-distance runner from Kenya. And in 2019, he was taking part in this 10-kilometer race in Nigeria. It's a race that he had won once before in his life. He'd come in second once before, and he was looking forward to winning it again. And things were looking good for him. And he rounded the final bend of the race. He was in the lead group. This is the part of the race where they were all sprinting to the finish line. And everything was looking good until one of the runners lost his balance and tumbled to the ground. And while many of the runners saw this as an opportunity to pass this guy, to pass one of their competitors, Chiprote, he only saw a man in need. He stopped running and he helped the man to his feet, and he helped him all the way to the finish line. And what's more is he actually put this man across the finish line before himself, putting himself in last place. I don't even know who won that race. The news articles don't even mention it. All the glory in this race was won by Simon Chiprote and his selfless actions. A man who could have had all the glory of the gold medal instead chooses to help a rival who is in need. 
how much more amazing is it that the God of the universe would look down from his holy height and hear the groans of his people? How much more amazing is it that rather than leaving us in his dust, he chooses to glorify himself by picking us up in his arms and carrying us? He chose to glorify himself not by crushing those who are against him, but by having mercy on them, by humbling himself to the form of a baby, to live a perfect life and to die the death that we all deserve. And this is how God will be known throughout all generations, as a God of mercy. This is why we tell our children about Jesus. Why do you think the psalmist has so much confidence in God? He's praying a prayer of someone who's suffering in loneliness and in pain. So where does his confidence come from? This is probably the worst time in the psalmist's life. Is it just blind faith that everything will all work out in the end? That this will all make sense when I'm older? No. The psalmist's hope for the future is based on who God is and what he has done. Even in the midst of all this suffering, the psalmist takes his eyes off of himself and places them on God and says, I know who you are. From eternity past, you had a plan to redeem your people. Though I wither away like grass, you, O oh Lord, are enthroned forever, and I trust you. It's easy to praise God for his faithfulness when everything is going well. But even when our world feels like it's crashing in, God is still faithful. His mercy is the same yesterday, today, and always. How can we trust in God's mercy when things aren't going according to plan? We can remember who God is. We can say, I know who you are, and I trust you. You are the God who sacrificed your son for us. As Romans 8, verse 32 says, he who, did, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We can trust his mercy because he is a God of mercy. He's merciful to his people yesterday, today, and always. And because of this, we must also remember that our future is secure with him. In verse 23, the psalmist, he goes back to talking about his own suffering again. He says, he has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. And then in verse 24, we see the only request in this prayer since the introduction. He says, oh my God, take me not away in the midst of my days. You whose years endure throughout all generations. The request is simple. Don't let me die yet. You who transcend time, who holds time in your hands, please give me more time. 
Now, the psalmist, he doesn't know if God is going to grant him what he's asking for. And yet he still finds comfort. In verse 25, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away, but you are the same, and your years have no end. The earth will pass away, but you, God, will last forever, and you will take care of your people forever. Our future is secure with you. And isn't that what we all want? For our future to be secure? It's one of our driving instincts as humans. We all seek security. In 1997, uh, there was a 35-year-old man named Scott Katz who tragically lost his wife to breast cancer. And he was left to raise their two children on his own. And he didn't know how he was going to make ends meet. He had a full-time job. He worked hard, but it just wasn't quite enough. He got desperate, and he soon turned to a life of crime. He started robbing banks once or twice a year, making off with relatively small amounts, five or ten grand at a time, so that he wouldn't get caught. Uh, but he kept this up over years, and he kept increasing the amount of money that he would take. And in 2012, he was finally arrested after making off with $100,000. And he was facing a 24-year prison sentence for all this, and he was asked why he did what he did. And this was his answer. He said, all I can tell you is that I thought it would help us as a family. I swear to you, I would only rob banks for my family. This kind of brings to mind that old ethical dilemma. Would you steal bread to feed your family? Most of us probably won't ever find ourselves in that kind of dilemma. But that doesn't mean that we don't go to great lengths to find security. You might not rob banks or steal bread, but maybe instead you work 60, 80 hours a week. Have you given yourself over to endless amounts of work in your pursuit of security? There is no eternal security in your money. There's no eternal security in your good works. There's no eternal security in your cabin, in your spouse, in anything here on earth. If you want to be secure in your future, rest in Jesus. He is not anxious about tomorrow. He already knows what's, what's going to happen, and he knows how he's going to provide for you. If you have trusted in Jesus alone for salvation, he has prepared a dwelling place for you with him in eternity. And there is no one or nothing that can take it away from him. Speaking of kids calling 911, um, I think probably my one of my favorite Christmas movies is Home Alone. You know the story where eight-year-old Kevin McAllister gets left home alone while his 
family all gets on a plane and flies to Paris for vacation. And there are these two burglars who have been scouting the house, and they see the family leave, and they think it's a good time to rob the place. But they don't know that little Kevin is still home. When Kevin realizes that there are bad guys trying to break into his house, he takes it upon himself to defend the place, and he sets up all these dozens of traps, and of course they hilariously fall into all of them over and over. But something that's always bothered me about the movie is, why doesn't he just call 911? And eventually he does, after the burglars are already in the house, and he's leading them to their final trap. But wouldn't, it be re wouldn't it be better to just let the police handle it from the beginning? Wouldn't it be better to rely on God in our time of need rather than leaning on our own strength and understanding? Our days pass away like smoke. Our hearts wither like grass. Our days are like an evening shadow. So rely on the God who is enthroned forever. The God who has pity on Zion, his people. The Lord builds up Zion. He regards the prayer of the destitute. He hears the groans of the people. He will remain forever. Maybe you don't feel worthy of asking for God's help. Maybe you feel like you just need to pull up your bootstraps and make it on your own. But hear me. You are no match for the hardships of this world. You are no match for Satan. God is here for you. If you have a hard time believing that, just look at the cross. A God who would give up his son for you will not abandon you now. You are precious to him. And not only did Jesus die for you, but he is currently sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding for you, advocating for you. That means he's on your side. Don't be Kevin McAllister, relying on your own strength when there is someone much more powerful and ready and willing and able to help you. You know what happens to Kevin? He ends up hung on a wall with his finger between the teeth of one of these burglars ready to get bitten off. Relying on his own strength worked for a little while, but in the end, it got bad for him. Instead, rely on God who reigns forever. Cry out to him in your time of need. Trust in his mercy and remember that your future is secure with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are mortal creatures. We are weak. We need you more than we could realize. Give us eyes to see how much we need you. Give us eyes to see how much you love us and want to help us and to comfort us. Help us to rely on you, to cast all our cares on you. We thank you, Lord, for looking down from your holy heights and caring for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.